morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is the Material Podcast episode. I did the Oprah thing again. <laughs> episode number 256 recorded live and in person through the internet on May 20th, 2020. I just really liked all the repeating of the number 20 in there. I'm your host, Florence Ion. I'm joined by my co-host, Andy Anatko, who you all know and love from Hello. the internet. For so yes, many years. a lot of cool numbers this week. It's you, you have the 202020 and also 256, which is a power of two. So mm, that's a good one. So that's, that's a, yeah. to me, to or to, to anyone who grew up like myself, like programming uh, assembly language, it's like, ooh, FF, the holy digit. <laughs> before, before that, there's the rollover, and we're going to have a we're gonna have a real problem calculating this digit if we can't if we can't keep the numbers below two fifty six because then we're gonna need another register for that. I'm so thankful for how much easier coding has become. <laughs> I I am almost my, resentful for about my it. generations. Yeah. Oh, really? I you it's know like, that's fair. That's fair, actually. Exactly. Like, do you have any idea how difficult it was to show a picture on an Apple IIe or even a Macintosh for God's sake? It's like I, 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 the most fun I have is with my Raspberry Pi and Python because mm. it's like, you know what? I would like to be able to, if I could find a way to like draw curves in polar coordinates instead of XZ coordinates. And as I'm plotting this, have it automatically like shaded in three dimensions. Uh, boy, that could take me like a month to code. Gee, I wonder if there's a, I wonder if there's like a Python library for that. Oh, there you go. Python library. <laughs> Hashtag include there. Oh, now we've got, now I can Phew. just simply pass it my digit, pass it the numbers. Phew. And yeah. So the other day I was complaining about this news. I think it was podcast addict. They got kicked out of the play store yes. because of so for, um, for using the C word. Yes, not and not not that c word us people um covid apparently yes. apparently apparently whatever ro- whatever robots were doing uh content control at the Google Play Store saying ooh people are down- people are using this podcast app to download things about covid that have not been screened and validated as being not full of bs so we must ban <laughs> this and then The developer had to be sent a metaphorical (laughs) fruit basket after a human being looked at this and said, oh, no, that shouldn't have happened at all. We can't even pretend that was okay. Fun fact, Andy and I give you content without it being screened beforehand. (laughs) Enter your own risk. Um, So I got all like, you know, into my feelings about this. And I was like, how could they do this? I'm like, but they, they have all that awful awful stuff that's, you know, in rotation on YouTube because I keep seeing that stupid pandemic ad from the Epoch Times. Um, By the way, if you end up Googling this, please do it in incognito mode because it will affect your algorithm. Um, They keep showing that before every single thing that I go to YouTube for, you know, whether it's like I want to go watch my twit, uh, my watch the episode of All About Android from the week, you know, just kind of see how we did. Like, ugh. Boom, hit with that advertisement. I'm like, what is this? Um, And then I remembered that my friend suggested that I subscribe to Rabbit Hole, the podcast, which is a podcast from the New York Times. Now, I personally have kind of uh, cut out podcasts that um, aren't like, don't have a jovial nature about them. And sometimes I don't feel that way about 
when it comes from like a big media company, because you're like, well, if I listen to this, I'm going to get depressed. And that's like the thing I don't want to do right now. You know, I, I want to just go into something with a little air of lightness. And sometimes it, it doesn't feel very light when it's coming from the New York Times. That's what I mean to say. So apparently I sat on this podcast for a while because I went into my pocket cast, which is the app that I use list. And I remembered that I had subscribed to it. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to I have a bunch of like menial CMS work to do today. So why don't I just put on put this on in the background? And oh my gosh, every time my husband came into my office, just kind of like check up on me, say hi or whatever, break up the monotony of the day, he'd walk in and hear me listening to this podcast. We're like, what are you listening to? Because it, it it's so well produced um, that it weaves in dialogue from um, radicalized YouTube videos. And so if you're just walking into my room and hearing this, you're thinking that I'm listening to some <laughs> questionable content. But what I'm actually listening to is a podcast by Kevin Ruse, um, who is a, I believe, a writer at the New York Times. He covers tech. Um, you've probably seen his name in these circles many times. And he basically follows the, he goes down the quote unquote rabbit hole that uh, of a YouTube viewer to kind of figure out how a person could get radicalized because of the algorithm that sort of drives YouTube. Um, it's really a great podcast, uh, just in terms of production, um, the way it's it's formatted, but also it's very frustrating to listen to because you get so you start to get really worried about the fact that there are people just listening to this stuff inhibited, uninhibited. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't think I used that word correctly, unfiltered? but uh, yeah, maybe that's what I meant. Um, un, unfiltered. And it, if you come at this content in with a certain um, set of circumstances in your life, it can really hit can really hit a nerve mm. um a nerve which essentially radicalizes you because if you're already angry about a b and c like the the person saying these keywords in this video you know this person makes you feel really seen and it's a video it's the same reason that you andy you and i do the podcast like through skype because we want to look at each other see each other's facial expressions and as a result we're able to connect this way and that's why it's easy for people to go to youtube and kind of just instantly connect with what they see there. Um, so it's just, it's a very fascinating podcast and I would, I haven't finished it. I'm on the last episode. Um, and I don't, so I don't have any spoilers to give. One of the things that's really interesting, and now this is not a super spoiler is that there's a whole episode that weaves in quotes from an interview with Susan Wojcicki, the head of YouTube. And it's very interesting to hear some of the answers about like, why she got interested in the position, how because of the way YouTube has evolved, um, it, there's it's kind of like you need to figure out what the next steps are if you work at YouTube, like where it's going to go from here. But you kind of can't like I can't imagine with the resources that I have intellectually 
how you'd be able to be a step ahead of what's next on YouTube. Because the progression that they talk about on the podcast from what YouTube started as, what what I knew it as in my college years, for instance, which was over a decade ago, versus what it has become. Like, you, you can ask me to guess that this would have happened, that YouTube would become the platform it is now. And I think maybe some of the executives were in the same boat. Um, and I'm just saying that based on the answer that Susan gives on the podcast. Uh, she says something again to, like, thinking that she was getting involved and I and I hope I did not misinterpret this, but saying that she was interested in getting involved in the entertainment industry yeah. aspect of it. But like YouTube clearly isn't just entertainment. It's also information. And so now you're asking this whole philosophical question of what is information? Where are the lines blurred? And it goes beyond YouTube, but it just it, YouTube is kind of used as this is the one route where things really need to be fixed. And it's just, it's very interesting. And they do cover some of the videos that were circulating during this whole pandemic. Um, it Definitely, if you have time, give it a listen. I haven't finished it, but I can tell you so far what I've listened to the five out of six episodes. Like I am, I want to read more. I, I want to go and, and, and read more about how this algorithm works and um, think about, how I could tailor it to make it better for me, especially because now we have to go to YouTube for our music if you're coming over from Google Play Music. <laughs> and Andy, I know that you didn't have an opportunity to do the transfer from Google Play to YouTube Music. I was not deemed worthy. <sighs> That's as yet. <laughs> I had a hookup, okay? I had I had a friend <laughs> in a back alley who offered me a link. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out there. That's how I managed to get in. Um and that and and by the way, I had to switch over my podcast RSS feed, the Honestly Tech Podcast, to a YouTube music friendly feed. So I think that maybe unlocked it for me. I don't know, but um, but it's when we do talk about that, not on this episode, but it's gonna come up. I think we should talk about the integration of YouTube without really knowing like what the future is for its uh, moderation. Yeah. Because, and now with like this news and this just happened yesterday, this wasn't on, you know, on our notes, but now with the news that like Joe Rogan is going to Spotify <laughs> as an exclusive, I, I am not on board with any of the content Joe Rogan's, you know, puts out because he is, he's got, he's got some very problematic views that I don't agree with. Yeah, um, I would say some, so some views, some views that really demand to be challenged. But someone who is a guest on the show to promote a Netflix special that's airing this week is probably not going to find that's a good idea to turn this entire PR opportunity into a fight over the the sources of the coronavirus. <laughs> right, right. Um, but the Spotify exclusivity thing is is interesting to me just in terms of um just in terms of the way content is I don't know there's there's a lot going on in 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 the world of Andy and Flow and I know some of this is inside baseball but there's also a lot going on in just the way that people consume information and um you know food for yeah. thought it's it's a complicated matrix there was a really cool uh, very interesting study uh, from some researchers from uh, George Washington University that was published in the journal Nature last week, where they were trying to see 
um, how uh, social media, specifically 100 million individuals like on Facebook, uh, how the di- what are the dynamics of the anti-vax message and how does it play out? Just basically turning that, almost treating that like an organism and seeing where does, how does this grow? What's, what's, uh, what, what's the best uh, environment for it? And was really eye-opening. It was, I think they were, they were specifically looking at uh, anti-vax communities. Uh, but it's very, very relevant as we are hopefully in, within the next year uh, thinking about well, there's going hopefully there's going to be a, there's going to be a coronavirus vaccine uh, that we're going to probably all have to want to take if we if we you know if we want to not kill our families uh, and still move freely and gather in groups and how how difficult is it going to be after we actually have this and it's tested and it's proven to simply convince silly people to actually get to get the virus and to administer the virus to their loved ones. And uh, the one of the really interesting uh, findings that they had is that um, if you have two sides of this argument, you have the side that understands science, understands statistics and statistics, statistics and probability. Uh, and all they need to, to be told is that if you get this shot and if your children get this shot, the likelihood of them contracting a very, very horrible disease uh, that is off that is fatal 15 times more often than a common flu and also has side effects for children that we are only beginning to figure out right now. You will probably in all likelihood duck out on all of that. And now you can actually go to movie theaters again. That's really all we need to hear. We don't even have to go as far as the movie theater part. Done. Now, how about the the anti-vax people? The, uh, they were they they did their statistical models based on clusters, like who who was receiving this message. And the most most interesting part of all of this is that um, if you have the people that are absolutely no way, no how, ever going to take a vaccine for anything, okay, they're decided. And then there's our group who has also decided. Now, then you have people who are sort of in the middle. Where they feel they're they're somewhat rational people, but the right message, excuse me, the wrong message of misinformation presented in exactly the right way will find that one thermal port that against all odds, the missile will actually penetrate into the cerebral cortex and actually have an effect. So uh, it's not just one thing where, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to die. So I don't, I definitely don't want this vaccine. No, you can target uh, the people who don't trust uh, don't trust big pharma. They think that's big corporations that are making profits. That's so. That's one cluster. Then there's a cluster of I don't trust big government. Uh, the fact that they are they are telling us all to take this means that there must be something about this, and it's a abridgment of my freedom uh, that everybody that the school is demanding that we take this. You can also have like the sort of Woodstock hippie crunchy hippie people saying, you know what? I feel as though. I can treat anything that could go wrong with me or my children naturally without putting some sort of chemical in my body, let alone one that has to be stabbed into my child's arms. So you have all these diverse groups and Mm -hmm. these the message tends to sort of morph and shift and uh, take on the properties of whatever empty space in the head you try to fill it, you fill it into and so that's the uh, that's the challenge that a coronavirus vaccine is going to face that you don't it's 
there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be swung over to that, not because there's some sort of there's a foreign foreign power intelligence agency that's trying to kill Americans by tricking us into not getting the vaccine. No, it's because of the nature of how many different uh, uh, weak spots in one's vulnerabilities in one's common sense that this thing can target and exploit. And this is exactly the sort of thing that is does very, very well on social media. Because you will be able – if there are 1,000 nuts out there who think that the earth is actually round but it's actually a tube and it's actually made out of uh, delicious cannoli crust, uh, if there are 1,000 people in the world that believe that, 100 years ago, each one of them would be told, wow, you're an idiot. You're such a total idiot. But on Facebook – Maybe 500 of them find each other, and now they have a community of 500 people, and hey, look, I'm not nuts. Look at all of these people out here who also understand the truth and are not willing to to bend the knee to what the government says, that the government owned an internationally no borders, one planet astronomer group says is the shape of the planet. So yeah, it's a a difficult thing. I do have have some sympathy for uh, folks who have to administrate – and lead lead a service like YouTube because this is not something that was baked in. Excuse me, protecting users against this sort of thing is not something that was baked in from day one. It really was mm-hmm. the idea that we want people to not let's have no uh, no uh, gatekeepers. Whatever you want to post up there, so long as it's not illegal, we'll we'll let you put it up there. Mm-hmm. They did not. They, they didn't create the culture of we are creating something that is potentially harmful. That yes, we are creating these beautiful, uh, beautiful works of art, silk flowers that everybody loves. Uh, but we've spent fifty years taking the excess dye and just putting it into the reservoir. Exactly. And at some point, you've been doing the culture so is so embedded, and this is the way you've been doing business that you are. It's it's really really you have to put you have to fill the tanker truck full of the runoff poison. And then decide not to dump it into the river. You then divert the truck into someplace else as opposed to not actually preparing to dump it to begin with. That's if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It's uh, links going to be in the show notes. Anybody want to check out the podcast? Definitely go do that. I think this is a good time to look into how your news is served to you. Trust only genuine <laughs> university trained or this or, or in my case training on the mean streets journalists yes exactly. people have reputations to def- to defend just like just like you uh, if you if you if you think that the mayor is corrupt and you need to report it to somebody what you do is you wait outside the the, the you, you wait outside the, the the police the police station the big one in the city and you look for the one car that's not brand new and shiny the one that's like 15 years old and it's belching smoke and it's missing a body panel and it's got like you know that that is the last honest cop in a deeply corrupt town and that's the person you entrust this information to and that's talking about Columbo. (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking about mostly i'm imagining a cop that's played by nick nolte or the 2020 equivalent but since since we're talking about youtube uh, I am going to help uh, providers, uh, content providers, and actually movie studios uh, because they've they've been taking it right in the neck this year. Uh, yeah, I, I know Hollywood they, I, could really use your help. They they had big plans for the troll movie, 
Uh, and the, the, and they have, hey, they have that to movie actually made $53 million on an yeah. opening weekend just yeah, with yeah, people yeah, at yeah. home. So think, think how much it would have made if they would have been able to release it to theaters for a weekend and a half. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think uh, – congratulations, Tom Hanks. Your latest movie is going direct to streaming. <laughs> that that's not a sentence that you expected to hear anytime after 1986 like after va- definitely poor, poor, in the bachelor Tom between- Hanks he also got covid though he had to true. remember him both him and Rita <laughs> true and and there, so there's a there's pints of of Tom Hanks blood out there mm. that maybe if you feel kinder it's maybe you received a donation of Tom Hanks blood or Tom, Tom Hanks antibodies uh but so here so here, here's what was going on the speaking of the the algorithm does doth taketh definitely but sometimes okay. it does giveth and uh i was i've been uh uh watching these compilations that people have been putting together of nothing but like 1970s mm. b and c grade movie trailers mm-hmm. and they are hysterical hysterically funny because they are so incredibly bad and based on that it is it found a uh, someone illegally of course uh posted uh, put on youtube a 1979 like action thriller called seven and it's about z-e-v-i-n s-e-v-e-n and uh no it's not the what's in the oh, box seven what's in the box? Uh, <laughs> so it, but it's your it's your basic you know, someone there's a there's a crime organization in Hawaii has fallen under the control of a ruthless cartel of seven yeah. gangsters. There you go. The FBI acquires the services of an ex agent turned assassin, Drew Savano, who in turn assemble a team of seven hitmen to stop them. Yes, and it is, uh, and I I've, I found myself starting to watch it like at eleven p.m. like last night or the night before because it really did open strong and stupid. I mean, it was. Uh, the the secret to making a good bad movie is if you just keep it moving forward you know yeah. you can get away with a lot if you just if you don't have a if you don't have like a five minute parking the car and then getting out of the car and walking into the building scene or if you don't have like a meaningless dialogue scene that goes for t- i mean if you keep it moving along you you, you can get there and so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to put the link for this in the show notes. Whoa, whoa, whoa! It's like flashing at me. Seven, 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 seven. Yes. Boom! It, it it is it is very 1970s, and I will I will also say that if but this... it's 79, so it's on the cusp of the 80s. So it's got some it's got some of that a little more flair than just the you know stuck in the oranges and reds. They I'll, I'll put I'll put it this way: like all the opening credits are done like uh, are printed by a daisy wheel printer from the big supercomputer that the FBI has. Mm. So for all all the background data on all these gangsters that they're going to try to round up, but so just to put it in the framework, it's but it is the, it is the sort of like wonderfully bad movie, and I'm going to give I'm going to give some people this a, a warning because parts of it are. Because it's a cheap B-grade movie from the late seventies, a lot of it is offensive. Uh, it's it has it has that uh, uh, these kind of movies got a lot more interesting to me when I realized when I when I found out that a lot of movies are like made for TV, like they're made they're yes. like ABC or NBC or CBS in the seventies would put up the five million dollars for like this movie. And that's the reason why Telly Savalas has like a minor role because mm. they, they, they wanted to use they wanted to put one of their stars in this movie, and uh, but they would also release it in Europe as well. 
And so one of the giveaways of this, and it is definitely one of the earmarks of this seven movie is anything that you can't possibly air on American television. It will, it will be a scene that has nothing to do with the story will lift right out without disrupting what you understand about the plot or anything like that. So again, being a horrible exploitative seventies movie, the women assassins at some point get topless just casual, just casually. Oh, so it's a movie made for HBO. I see. No, 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 but, I see. No, no, <laughs> no that's, I know. See, that, just... That's it. So then you realize that. Oh, so that's <laughs> it's. It's not like I'm going. Here's here's the scene in which like uh, assassin number three like kills the crime boss number three, and of course she's going to lure him like on on the beach by being topless. No, you can't have that because you have. If they're going to air on TV, she has to shoot him in a way that you can actually air it. But of course, when she's when her partner. Uh, that she's teamed up with is like briefing her on it. Of course, she's making coffee totally topless, just as women do. Just you know, oh why yeah. Would, why would you throw on a robe or a t-shirt when yeah, exactly? <laughs> so, but uh, but but let's get back. But getting back to the, the thing. So I'm I watching mean, some this. women do, and so, if that I, I, that is again, you, I'm to each it, their own. It has it has not been my experience nor my expectation that uh, casual nudity is the solution for the, the women that I have, that I have known in that context. Again, to they, each they will, they will, they will, <laughs> the ones that I have known would throw on a t-shirt or throw on mm-hmm. a sweatshirt or something mm-hmm. when, you know, making their breakfast, making coffee, or vacuuming. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, Oh, I got to return all these phone calls. I better take off. I better take off my blouse and the bikini top I had underneath there. Yeah. Ah, there like... you go. <laughs> I am calling long distance. It might be a weak signal. See that sort of thing. Uh, but so, <laughs> so, so I'm watching. So I'm watching this, and it is gloriously cheesy. And I'm and, and I'm actually kind of getting into it because the story. It's a, it's a, it's a cheap movie, but this the actual plot line is moving along, and they've murdered like five of the seven uh, mafia people that they that they they've been assigned to murder, and at that point, so at that point. A uh, if the movie kind of cuts off, and now we're seeing just like uh, like an iMovie like digital title for like a movie site where that hosts all kinds of illegal uh, illegally copyrighted like movies that you can a download and also probably get your computer vi- infected with all kinds of viruses like the blobity 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 dot ru, <laughs> and and I realize my God that is genius. Because there are times when I'm, uh, if I've heard about, the, oh wow, Telly Savalas was in some movie, and like, or uh, Gene Hackman was in some movie in 1974 that I never heard of. Wow, what a, it can't be very good, but if it's Gene Hackman, I got to see it. And yes, it was a made-for-TV movie, and you know, it's not you can't find it on DVD or Blu-ray. So yes, if it's so, if someone has posted it on YouTube, I'm going to look for it. I'm going to watch it. And if it's something that's other people are looking for. Probably there's going to be like the, the the search results are going to be like Gene Hackman 1974 the the name of the window man and full movie and then you click it and then it'll be just this little animated boo boo to find the to download this to watch this movie and all there's go to blobity blobity infect your computer dot ru and you're like god damn it <laughs> and and then but mostly it's like okay this clip is this video that that has been found for me is two minutes twenty seconds long it's obviously not the one so they. Basically, to get me to potentially uh, pay attention to this this pirate link that it wants me to hit, 
it didn't give it to me at the beginning when I wasn't interested in the movie. It gave it to me near the end when now we're in a five-act structure. I'm uh-huh. at the end of Act 4. If I want uh-huh. to find out how this movie ends, and the only alternative is to like buy a $22 legitimate Blu-ray off of eBay. Like, uh, I, I, no, I wasn't tempted one bit, but it did make me think that if, if giant studios really want to take advantage of YouTube, mm-hmm. they're not going to be doing using it for for uh, surfing for takedown notices. They are right. going to take like Independence Day and then like right before the final battle, that's where they cut to. Oh, and if you really want to see this movie, go to Universal. <laughs> go to iTunes or Amazon.com where you can rent this for five dollars because – if that if that's what I saw, if that was if there was an, if there was like an iTunes link or QR code that would take me to the Google Play Store where for four dollars and ninety nine cents I could rent it legitimately and watch the end of that mm-hmm. movie, that terrible movie. At that point, yes, I would have spent five dollars to do that. So I'm exactly. saying that there, there's sometimes there are lateral solutions to how to best leverage yes. this new threat of of Wild West uploads on YouTube. Yeah, no, that is a really, really good point, Andy. Um, usually I'll I'll rent a movie if it's rentable. If it's there, if it's available for me, I'll toss it $5, of course. Um, I, I would rather go that route and have the full resolution of it and, you know, subtitles, because I watch everything with subtitles to get, you know, a better grip on what's being said. Um, yeah. But now I did send that link, that YouTube link to my husband. So we're going to we're going to try and find that movie now. Um, cause now I'm curious and yeah. I just watched the trailer where you, while you were talking about it. So I'm intrigued. There's a lot of explosions. It's like I said, it moves, along. Explosions. it moves along. There's a, there, there's another movie that, uh, that I've, uh, actually, that actually, uh, uh, I'm looking for an actual legit copy of, I haven't seen it. It's called, it's called the doll squad, which is kind of a similar sort of structure. I've only seen the first 10 or 15 like minutes. Like Charlie's angels. Exactly. It's, it looks like a kind of a ripoff of that. Uh, mm. Only there are like multiple dolls, whatever. But all I know about I, all, all I know it's about it's free it is the, on Tubi. Ooh, now, the, 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 <laughs> and it's here. also available on Prime Video. Yes. Oh, oh, you knew that. Sorry. Okay. No, <laughs> I see. I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten. I haven't bought it yet. I'm going. I'm. I am going. Oh, to buy I'm it sorry. I spoiled let me, that for but, you. Let, but let me tell you what the big what the big deal is about this. The okay. first like ten minutes of it are like oh they've they've the, the super big bad guy managed to like blow up this this uh, space the NASA launch uh, they were taunting us from the phone now I hope that I I hope that you're watching the live the the live telemast of the of the locker launch Mister Mister Daly and then boom, 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 boom. I trust I've made my intentions clear now click. And so now they go, well, okay, we, we've got to do something about this guy. They go to an actual working, like, IBM, like, mainframe computer room. Like, they didn't, like, just get props, and they basically went to some insurance company or some bank. And for 10 glorious minutes, you see what it was like to do, like, database programming retrieval and 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 coordination they mm. they load tapes onto reels and it's not like one of those phony montages of just like throwing sparks and making smoke it was and then they they get like a card deck and so they have to put it into the card reader where they put the stack inside this this hopper and on the IBM card reader they have to put this special like handled weight on top of it and then you see like the machine going like collating all this stuff and honest to god it was the most 
that's 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 I I'm I'm sure they were imagining that oh doll squad people men are gonna want to watch that because they're gonna see like women in jumpsuits I polyester mean. shooting people like no no please more shots of the uh, okay well that's that was an IBM do they then go to a Burroughs machine across the street <laughs> because that's a deep cut wait a minute this is seventy nine they could have had an early cray like a really early cray research ooh Honeywell yeah so that's there's there's a see this. <laughs> I, I, I we I'm sorry I'm blabbering on we need to get to we need to get to it to, to, through the ad but this is this is why I'm I'm legitimately I have bought more movies that I have never ever heard of only because somebody made an illegal posted one posted a copy of it illegally to YouTube and I couldn't bear to like not own it and right. I'll go to I'll go to YouTube and Amazon and find out that is if if it's not available at all then yes I will definitely just steal it from YouTube because if nobody's if the if the copyright holder is not monetizing it I feel there's no harm done but even if it's damn I, I, they, there was like a the the like universal has like a, a make a, a burn to order like DVD and Blu-ray business where of course they don't actually keep these things in stock but if you make an order automatically it goes to this computer that automatically burns a, a dvd prints out like the, the 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 card art and sends it to you for 11 dollars. and i'm like damn it i feel as though i really need to have a copy of the doll squad <laughs> i do i don't even know what happens after the big computer scene but i've already gotten 11 dollars worth of entertainment just out of the computer scene um, Andy, should we go to an ad so you can we have must. money to buy more? <laughs> we must. I'm sorry. That was <laughs> this episode of material is brought to you by Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing support and scale you need to take your project to the next level. They have 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia. And with their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. Get started on Linode today with a $20 credit for listeners of this show, and you'll get access to a revamped cloud manager built on an open-source single-page app, dedicated CPU plans with physical cores reserved just for you, GPU compute plans suitable for AI, machine learning, and video processing, one-click installs of the most popular apps including WordPress, LampStack, and game servers for Minecraft, and more. Go to linode.com slash material and use promo code material2020 when creating a new Linode account and you'll get a $20 credit towards your next project. And Linode are hiring right now. So if that's something that interests you, go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Once again, that's linode.com slash material and the promo code material2020 for that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of Material Podcast and all of Relay FM. So last week we talked about we talked about a very revealing set of articles that that came came to head. Um, one of them was from the information. It was all about how the Pixel hardware team was just in dire straits and there was just, there was all this internal upheaval and just the drama and people are crying and there's, it's just so bad. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. 
Um, but you wouldn't know because it's behind a paywall. So unless you're subscribing, you have no idea what, what they're actually saying in the article. Um, but to kind of do a little bit of, shall we say, damage control? <laughs> is uh, that? Yeah. Is let's, that? Let, let's, let's just say that nothing makes a CEO or another <laughs> senior executive more uh, malleable to coming on someone else's turf in the form of a podcast and talking things out any more than them doing all kinds of spreadsheets for all different kinds of offices and realizing that, yeah, it is so bad that there's probably nothing that you could say on a podcast in a free spieling. A blog post is not going to fix this. Like yeah. a, a g- blog.google.com blog post is not <laughs> going to put a sheen on this very, very scratchy situation here. So Sundar Pichai, um, Google's Google's leader, the leader of things, um, the official title, leader of things, um, he was on the Vergecast this last week. And Andy so kindly listened to the Vergecast to basically outline some of the important parts of the conversation. Now, we're not saying that you shouldn't listen to the episode, but if you have been hearing about this episode and you're thinking, boy, I would love the TLDR, welcome. That's what we're here to give you. Um, I am taking the TLDR because um, I am listening to Rabbit Hole right now. (laughs) So quite honestly, it just wasn't something that I, I had a chance to get to this week. But thank you, Andy for doing this for us. Um, So Andy, I find it interesting that kind of one of the first notes that you made in our outline was referring to what Sundar Pichai was talking about in regards to diversity. And I mean, it's important to note, even though the big, the big story was about what was happening in the pixel hardware team. um, There was also the report last week from Wired, I believe, uh, that there has been, you know, a scale back on Google's efforts to promote its diversity initiatives and really put money into that. And so that was kind of the first question on the Verge Gast. Um, yeah. You know, it was, it was uh, Neil Patel and uh, Dieter Bonn uh, were uh, our hosts of the Verge cast. And that was the, they, they led off by talking about, well, let's, let's address all the news that all the bad news that happened last week and get your reaction to this sort of stuff. And yeah, that was the first. So they're asking him specific questions about this for his comments. And of course the answer was from Sundar's mouth. We probably have more resources invested in diversity now than at any point in the company in respect to scale and resources. Uh, yeah, probably true on, you know, this is like when you have to give a statement to appear in court, you're, you know, they, they tell you never to give information just to agree or disagree to the facts that are being presented to you kind of thing. <laughs> and this is, this is what it's at. You know, it's like, a, I'm neither agreeing nor disagreeing with whether or not those reports are true. Instead, I'm going to tell you this fact, which is that we probably do have more resources invested in diversity now than ever before. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves in our charts. Uh, and in this case, that would probably be true. We don't know what that money is going to. We don't know if it's going to um, actual, I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to like snacks for the different clubs. Like, I, I'm sorry. That was, that was so, 
I, I'm not trying to like. Oh, it's a you're, minimize you're, what you're, might actually be a great diversity effort. It's yeah. just that this kind of answer for that kind of question is unsatisfactory for somebody like myself. Yeah. I find it unsatisfactory. Given given that last week's article was uh, eight different sources of uh, of current and former Google employees citing specific examples of specific diversity programs that had been eliminated or cut back, and staff that had been reassigned to other uh, to other divisions or whose contracts weren't renewed. Uh, this was a very obviously a very conversational sort of Q and A uh, in which he is not. Ex- he did not compare, nor did, he was not prepared to, nor was what did he expect that he'd be he'd be in a position to say, well, here are the here is what we did in 2017, and here are the numbers in 2018, and here are a specific program that we diverted from A to B, so they're they're not making matching facts to facts. I just also want to point out, by the way, that this podcast was three men speaking at a time, so just. <laughs> kind of want to point that out there well I, um, I, it, to, to be fair that that i think they those are the neil I and dieter are the two like regular regular hosts of the podcast i know it's just but, but it's just this conversation is not going to go anywhere in this particular environment so in yeah. terms of talking about diversity and and that report because eventually the podcast kind of you know veers into other territories so they talked about criticism from conservatives um you know they uh, Sundar replied to that that we don't bring any lens, any such lens to the criticism from conservatives, and that among other things, we make sure that people can express their viewpoints. Um, where was the? I mean, Andy, did you feel like there was a? And I don't mean to put you on the spot, my dear co-host. I'm just, no, I'm no. genuinely curious if you felt like there was any pushback on those two things because I feel like. Um, those are two very heavy things, <laughs> uh, diversity and, you know, addressing criticism from conservative viewpoints that are highly problematic. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was, um, but the tone, the tone of this, it wasn't the, the, the tone of, of Sundar Pichai's appearance on the Verge cast wasn't, and today we've got Sundar Pichai here to respond to allegations. Sure, sure, sure. So I don't, I, I don't think they were pressing him on it. It didn't, it didn't seem as, uh, it's, 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 it's hard to explain. I, I don't think that it was, uh, it was, it was definitely an environment in which he was given the freedom to talk, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but this is not the sort of thing where th- the follow-up question is, well, can you name a specific instance right. in which a specific move that you made uh, uh, in which uh, in which you just uh, – if you deleted one program that you more than matched it with and moved to another. I mean, he, mostly, yeah. he mostly echoed what was said in the brief statements that a, a Google representative uh, uh, offered, which is that we've decided that we don't do really well – uh, at uh, at designing a diversity program, and therefore we're hiring we're hiring consultants who do nothing but develop diversity programs for big tech companies such as ourselves. Uh, and you all, once again, using the word scale, <laughs> saying that we need scalable solutions. So, which means it has to do with anyway. Anyway, look, <laughs> I could stay on that stuck forever, and uh, and we're not going to because there was there was actually some very uh, in. Yeah. I don't know why the wrong word came to my brain. Uh, in, indicative? God, that's not the right word. 
Again, Flo's having some brain problems today. I'm just, I'm <laughs> tired, y'all. I'm tired. I'm having like a week. So it's anyway, um, so Sundar did discuss the performance of the Pixel line. I know that was kind of a lot of people's minds, and and you know, phone industry talk is is very inside baseball. I think. I think Andy and I get more of a. I think. I think there's insight there that a lot of people can get, but I just feel like that's something that is just not, you know, it's not future telling sort of thing. So what what Sundar said is that the last two years have been a major integration phase for us uh, regarding the integration of Nest and HTC and that there's been a lot of stitching together. Hardware is hard. It takes real time to get it right. Uh, he talked of longer timelines and taking a long-term view of where computing needs to go. Uh, and he reminded us to think about the intersection of hardware, software, and services and kind of how that all that has to meld together for these things to come together. Uh, Sundar added, what we're doing will take three or four years to play out. And I mean, that's fair. It took us four years to get to the Pixel 4 to get to what we have now. You know, it started, I felt like the Pixel line started out really strong with strong hopes. And we've kind of seen that like maybe... Maybe Google's a little stuck. Maybe that's what we got with the Pixel 4. And it seemed that like Sundar Pichai was giving that in this interview, though maybe not so explicitly. Yeah. He, the the other interesting tidbit from that part was mentioning that the Pixel 3a was, in fact, the first uh, phone that was developed uh, after the integration of the HTC team mm-hmm. uh, into Google. Uh, and so a lot, a lot of the scuttlebutt was that it was actually the Pixel 4. But it just goes to show that a lot it, that a, a lot of effort has to go into just getting this new team up and running. Uh, now that's that doesn't carry much water for people who uh, were optimistic enough to spend to pay full price for a Pixel Four on launch day, not knowing that oh we're still this is this is maybe our second practice phone maybe, <laughs> mm-hmm. and maybe you'd want to wait for the Pixel Five when we apply the the lessons we learned from the Pixel Four. Which, by the way, like, that's an an amazing privilege for Google to have to be able to say, like, eh, we're, we're doing some practice runs here, you know, because there are. Yeah, he, he didn't say that explicitly, but that's. Uh, OK, yeah. Um, fair enough. Uh, so Sundar did point out that the hardware team kind of is focused on three goals right now, which is to drive computing forward. Um, to guide the ecosystem, he cited the Nexus 7 tablet as a positive example of this with the watch <laughs> trajectory kind of as a negative example. And I appreciate that that was, you know, brought into the fold because, you know, people noticed and, and you kind of saw that sort of coming out from Google employees. There was some mention, I think, um, last year at Google I.O. of how like watch OS wasn't really floating around as much as yeah. people expected it would. Um the third goal, uh, Sundar said, is that we really we need to really build a sustainable hardware business. And so maybe this is where I backtrack, actually, what I was just saying about Google's trial runs. But at the same time, I mean, it. I think for the company to stand out on its own from the partners that it has in in this plat um, on this platform, I should say is to really take a concentrated effort every time it launches a new phone. Uh, With the Nexus hardware, the onus was on the developers, making sure that they had the relative stats, the relative specs in the hardware to kind of develop to. And now I think it's just more figuring out how do you translate 
all of that development, uh, all of that good development into something that people want to spend Samsung money for. Right. Yeah. No, that's, um, a, that, that's yeah. absolutely right. It's it's the because Google does have so many assets to bring to bear on a on a on a on a, on a, a prestige phone, and the idea of making sure that the artificial intelligence team is working in in concert with like the architecture team, which is also working with the design team, and you're now you're also realizing that a lot of these people don't even necessarily remember where is their assigned parking space yet so it's it's a the it's after the thing that kind of disappointed me the most about last week's like uh behind the scenes sort of revelations were rick ostolo coming in a couple months an all-hands meeting for the pixel team before a couple months before the release of the pixel 4 and saying here are all the things i'm disappointed with of this right I'm like why are you why were you not talking to them all along and why did you not say you see this battery we're not going to use your your idea of a battery because we're going to have to put in a much bigger battery aren't we it it was very surprising to have someone that senior that's a good point basically saying after the damage is done and after we're locked into creating a phone that i according to these comments that have been attributed to me am going to be disappointed with uh, yeah, so that it does it does point to them. <laughs> it, it it leads it creates the impression that Google wasn't necessarily saying this is every single Pixel phone we release has to be a home run and the survival of the comp we have to act as though the survival of the entire company and our reputation is on this. And to hear Sundar Pichai speak of this is it's all about having platforms. It's all about uh, it's all about integrating uh, of all these divisions and finding a way to leverage everything that we do. And some of the things we're doing, we expect is going to take a few years to play out. And in the meantime, the he didn't say this, but the 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 parenthetical is that in the meantime, the idea of not shipping a phone this year or next year is simply not on the not on the table. So it's not it's not as though they're okay. I, I I think I'd be going way too far to say that they're okay with shipping deficient products, but I do think that from their actions and from their comments, that it's not we have to we have to solve these problems. If we're shipping in October, we have to solve these problems in May. We have to make sure that all we're working all we're working on all we're really sweating over and arguing about in September is what kind of wallpapers are going to be exactly. are going to be shipped with it. Exactly. Um, now, there's there's a lot discussed in this podcast episode. So definitely we will link it in the show notes so that you can go check it out yourself after you listen to us, of course. <laughs> um, please finish this episode. Thank you. Um, but I did want to bring up a couple of other just little tidbits. Sundar did talk about the messaging strategy. I know that's something on everybody's mind, every Android user's mind. Um, the question was whether this moment in time was a moment of clarity for Google now that the company is relying on messaging so much more than ever before. And Sunar replied that when COVID hit, we weren't done making the change to meet that we wanted to make. Uh, you know, COVID has blurred the line between consumer and enterprise. And that's certainly true for the people at home who are juggling full-time job and several children at once, because that's that, I mean, that, that is it right there. That's it right yeah. there. The consumer in one hand and, you know, work life balance. There's no such thing right now. Um, he did say though, that it's making more progress than it appears. And because there are so many people signing up for Google meet, the product, uh, has gained some momentum. He also talked about RCS, um, and how it's sort of the 
unifier of uh, of this messaging strategy. He feels that a phone number-based system is an important part of a messaging system that works for all Android users. And I would imagine that has to do with the way it's used in other markets. Yeah, I, I, I didn't uh, I didn't expand that note a little bit. That was in response to like uh, comparing uh, uh, Google's messaging strategy to the way that Apple is handling uh, their message with with mm-hmm. FaceTime and iMessage. Mm-hmm. That he's making the point that a, you, an Apple ID or an email address or a phone number or whatever doesn't isn't going to be as effective for what a messaging app he thinks that a messaging app has to do mm. than making it if they want something that will work across all platforms it has to be tied to a phone number because that's the one thing that each one of these mobile devices is, is going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he did mentioned that different carriers having different RCS implementations is one of the biggest sources of fragmentation within Android. Sounds familiar. Uh, and he said that he's simple, that simplifying that is, will be a tremendous multiplier, uh, for, you know, helping band together this Android platform. And I, I, I feel that we all feel that way. It's just, it's the same boat, as you said, as Facebook Messenger, Apple's iMessage. Um, there just needs to be something that unifies us. There is some discussion about how Google's sort of changing its business during the pandemic. Um, the things about how, you know, workers going back to work or are going to be uh, funneled in. There's some discussion about uh, Sundar walking us through the day when Trump held up that chart and said <laughs> that thousands of Google engineers are working on an app for testing. Um, he just kind of talks. I don't want to spoil it. I feel like should go and, and give it a listen. Uh, also talked about Google and Verily. Especially because if, if, I, if I can interject here, especially yes. because there is a, one unfortunate port, a point in this podcast where Sundar mumbles a little bit. <laughs> and so he was he, the, the mumbling part that no matter how many times I replayed it, I could not get a fix on mm. the two or three words he was saying or the well, tone that he was saying them in. Because they, they were they're asking him direct they 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 were putting him on a spot asking directly, okay, so this uh, uh reality challenged individual <laughs> stated this was happening at Google and maybe it wasn't happening that way. Why do you respond and what was going on at that point? And uh, it seemed <laughs> it seemed to me like as part of the response in the mumble, he was saying yeah, Trump was full of crap. We had we were the, we were the ones who had to get, we had we had to provide the real information because that guy had no idea what he was talking about. But, yeah. I, but unfortunately, I could not confirm that. <laughs> but I, if I could if, again, if if I kind I kind of want to use the voice to speech feature on on my Android on my Pixel phone to see if it could make sense out of that because it's it's the eighteen missing minutes from the Nixon tapes. <laughs> Um, Sundar did talk about, so they did ask him about, um, kind of the relation to what Facebook is doing to how it announced, um, basically what amounts to a world Supreme court for free speech on its own platform. So the question was, do you think Google will have to do something similar to manage the very, very old problem of reliable information, something that we were talking about at the top of this podcast. I think and, that, I think uh, that was I think that was Neilai's question. Unfortunately, Neil, uh, if you're doing a podcast, I'm going to give you all advice, including people who are more famous and successful and make more money than I am. Mm. What you want to do is, if you're having two people, uh, you definitely want to have diversity. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing you want diversity for is you have, let's say, one person 
who has a lush, rich baritone such as this, mm. and then another person who has a very sweet, higher soprano sort of voice. Mm-hmm. So that, but when you have two people who are like ten, if you have two men and they're tenors, and you have someone who is trying to, was that Neli or was that Dieter? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, it was, yeah. That sounds like a Neli question. I think that's a. Yeah, that's how I, I, I'm I, noticing I, that in some. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I just want to make, and I mean that as a, I mean that as a positive thing. I just want to, I no, just want I to understand. make. I want to make sure that um, some, some in my notes here, um, some of these are transcriptions of questions too. So I want to make, I want to make sure that uh, Neli or <laughs> or Dieter Neeler, let's say, <laughs> gets credit for crafting the question. I think he he was the one who who referred to the Facebooks. Uh, uh, social uh, uh, free speech initiative as being sort of like a Supreme Court of uh, worldwide of free the world. speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this, Sundar replied, it's the foundation of, well, in terms of inf- information, is the foundation reliable of what our, yeah. yeah, of reliable information is the foundation of what our company was built on. It's something we've thought about for a long time. For example, on YouTube, for the past four years for categories of information, we've relied on external experts. We partner with counter-extremism org- organizations and tap their expertise to help shape our policies. Um, they also do similar things with anti-harassment. Google says is relying on deep experts, nonprofits, governmental expertise as a natural way to deal with these problems and that they will look to see what the learnings from Facebook's oversight boards are. But relying on outside policy experts is generally how Google uh, approaches this particular problem. Um, There's so much more to this interview to get into. And you can, again, put the link at the show notes. You can go give it a listen. I do want to apologize if I kind of went into this like bitingly. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think it's just I I think that it's great that Google sends Sundar Pichai to do this. I think this is the reason that Sundar is in the position that he's in is at Google because he is relatable in a manner that he is able to do things like this, and it seems and it is organic for Google to do that. Versus, we would never expect something like this from let's just say for a comparison apple to really yeah. like come out and like talk on on a podcast about this stuff but yeah, where definitely. i get where Go my ahead. gears are sort of grinded where my gears grind whatever however you'd say that uh is just that i think there's so so much more happening at google than just what it's doing on hardware what it's doing with apps that needs to be more thoroughly covered um than it is now i think we are we are seeing more coverage of these things. We're seeing more headlines around things like diversity initiatives um, and, you know, what Google's doing with us, what is ostensibly dangerous information being circulated yeah. around the web. But um, but I, I feel like we could be doing more to make that sort of uh, concern mainstream because I feel like that's not a mainstream concern. That's an Andy and Flo concern, but Andy and Flo, <laughs> we're hanging out in the trenches and getting dirty with everybody else. So we see what's happening. But if I take this to to a friend, this might not be something that would immediately come to mind. And so that's that's kind of, you know, where I I just wanted to, you know, explain myself. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's it's too bad. I think I think you made an excellent point that um Apple is way more conservative when it comes to they they do sometimes yes. have Tim Cook let Tim Cook go and talk to 
a, a, a civilian. They do sometimes let the super, super vice presidents talk to certain civilians, but the controls they put under that are so severe. And yeah. they they work so hard. I, 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 obviously, I have no inside information on how um, this podcast was set up. And uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, all conjecture. Uh, Neil, yeah. Neil, Neil and Dieter, they're they're too uh, emphat- they're emphatically they're non bozos. So yes. um, I think uh, I think that at worst, um, they were just they made the rational choice that this is not. They, uh, th- this was this was not a meet the press sort of situation right. that was being offered to them. That I'm, I'm sure that also because there are legitimate journalists, they also didn't agree to terms that here is what you're allowed. Here are the questions you're allowed to ask. You have to give these answer uh, questions in advance. Uh, I think that they made a they they did an interview that was very appropriate to the Verge cast because uh, again, it's not a meet the press situation where. Uh, there, there are very few situations in which it is easy to interrupt someone, the interview subject, when they've just said something that was factually incorrect, and point out, "I have the statistics in front of me. You've just lied in front of yeah. like my eight, my eight million viewers here on uh, watch <laughs> retirees who are watching television on Sunday morning after coming home from mass." Uh, but, it, but it's, it's um, I did get the impression from this. This is a lot more open and a lot more honest and a lot less planned than a Tim Cook interview would certainly be. This is Sundar. This is who he is as a person, which is why I think this is very fitting. I just wish that I could get into... I wish I could be a fly on the wall of those discussions because I want to know what's happening there because it's affecting me as a consumer of their products. So that's that's how I'm coming at it. Um, And I appreciate for those of you listening in, again, I'm not... I and and I'm sure there's some criticism like well, Flo, you didn't actually listen to the interview, so what are you talking about? But I've been reading about the interview, so it's just I just yeah. you know there's a, the, yeah. the and, and the the Verge certainly uh, made good use out of it. They've actually broken it up into I don't think they've published a transcript, but they've broken it into like three or four different feature articles uh based on the four or five different topics that they got into during the uh during the conversation but i do uh urge everyone to listen to the actual conversation because that's the sort of context where you'll understand where the flow of the conversation is going where uh where the hosts decided to press on certain points uh where they wanted to they, they realized that they've got exactly one hour's worth of time and uh, 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 There's only so much you can cover in that. Yeah, and, and also executive assistants are are hovering to not to not to cut the mics if they ask a, a question they don't like. But we have uh, one hour of a CEO's time. The things that a CEO can do for a huge company in an hour's time is immensely valuable. So they were not they were not going to get one hour and one minute. And so if they're th- if they really wanted to talk about if they really wanted to get to the Facebook stuff if they really wanted to get uh, to RCS and messaging, uh, they couldn't say they couldn't make this a whole hour on uh, diversity uh, and the true. Uh, performance of the pixel true, line. True, true. So, uh, but so that's that's what I'm saying. It's a, yeah. I, it's a very very listenable, very very entertaining hour. And if anybody has any uh, comments, suggestions, observations, just tweet us at Material yes. Podcast. We read those tweets uh, and we see you. So, and we'll. We can talk about it on the podcast here. We'd love to. I had the wonderful opportunity of having my very first Google Meet briefing 
<laughs> during the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> I will tell you, I was just as nervous about about it as I would be approaching the group of journalists, you know, in a physical spot. I always have that like little bit of anxiety. You're just like, okay, you got to get into like work mode. Like you're going to be around a bunch of like colleagues. Like you're going to be in front of executives. And I didn't think that I would feel so nervous, but I did. Thankfully, I could have my camera off. So that was off. Um, I just, I just thought it was very interesting. That, you know, I was like telling my husband, I just, I'm, I just had my first briefing like over the <laughs> internet, like. Uh, yeah. And it was, and it was great. I, I, I thought it was really, um, I thought it was definitely something that we would have seen at Google IO had it still been held. Uh, but I'm really, I feel very privileged to have been privy to this news as it was, um, as it was launched kind of thing. So Google, so, okay, today, Thursday, May 21st, which is the day that this podcast is supposed to be publishing in your feeds, is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And so in honor of it, Google is has launched a bunch of new features that are accessibility geared. Okay, so there were three kind of major announcements centered around, um, around this day. So the first one is a an easier way for you to see which locations, like which restaurants, which trailheads, that kind of thing, are wheel wheelchair accessible. So be able to toggle on the setting in Google Maps. And, you know, if you're looking for like a grocery store, uh, you know, you're looking for a Froyo place when we can go out again, um, <laughs> you'll be able to see this little wheelchair icon and it kind of lets you know that like, hey, wheels are, we are wheel friendly. So not just wheelchairs, but say, you know, you're it's me and Mona. We want to go out and get some ice cream. So I'll know I can bring Mona there. Or or maybe, you know, you have an elderly parent who requires a walker to get places. So all of this stuff yeah, is just like good to know. Let's say you pulled the hell out of your hamstring in your right leg yeah, and you're exactly. on crutches for three months. <laughs> yeah, you want to take the yeah. ramp. You don't want to take stairs. That is, so. I, I I don't claim to understand what it is to uh, to uh, uh, have a physical disability day to day to day to day. Uh, I but I do understand how effing annoying it is when like there's only one yeah. like ramp access and they've decided to put it way off to the side and now even though like it even with the crutches it hurts to walk i'm going to have to walk all the way around to the back yeah, entrance exactly. and had i known that the back end that they the front entrance was not like ramp accessible i probably would have had the uber drop me off mm-hmm. at the back to begin with mm-hmm. so yeah this is this it's such a this is this is why accessibility features like really really hit me hard that some of these things they're so basic like just tell me let's let's do what you have to do to label publicly accessible areas to as is it accessible for people who uh, are use assistive devices or is it not accessible if exactly. it is accessible which entrances on which streets do you have to go to to use the accessible areas and it was just as simple as saying oh you know all that. You know the 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 the, the, the junior rangers that we send out, the local guides that tell us like <laughs> in their subies. This, that is there <laughs> is is this place known for takeout? 
can you get a burrito yes. in this place? Like, yes. How about we? I'll throw some. Oh, while you're there, could you check to see if there's if there's handicap accessibility? If there's yes. places to park? <laughs> if there are places to park a van? And if so, could you mark on this map? Uh, and that was just uh, according to, according to the blog post. Uh, this is it. Only, it took them about, what three years. Uh, and they just basically all those Google surveys that you got ten cents for answering yep. <laughs> after the <laughs> at the end. Um, I will say though, I there's I don't know that there's any explicit like front entrance, back entrance sort of thing, but you will see this icon just below opening hours, so it's fully available there. You'll also see if there's accessible seating, an accessible parking area. So you know if you're driving. Um, it's good to have those full details. So that was one kind of one scope of the announcement um, from the Google Maps team. And then there is an announcement from for um, new a new feature on Android called Action Blocks. Now, this is a very interesting little piece here, because although it's going to be very helpful for, you know, folks who either maybe can't speak to the assistant uh, like they can only tap. So this will be really helpful in this in this particular situation. But I think I have to actually get this checked. But I think these work with TalkBack because of the nature of what they are. So what action blocks are, are effectively Google Assistant widgets. I'm simplifying it. This is not how Google described it. This is just how I'm describing it to you, the listener. Um, essentially, Google Assistant widgets that you can place on the home screen and it'll allow you to do basic phone functions like launch an app to do a video call. So you want to launch Google Duo and and call a you know a specific person. You would uh, kind of format it the same way that you would put in an assistant routine in that manner. Um, or you could just tap on the button on your home page, and boom, that's it. The lights are on, kind of thing. And that's such an important basic thing. Uh, both for cognitive cognitive problems, but also uh, difficulty in tapping a target, whether you're using your finger or whether you're using assistive device. If it's if it's going to be the same four, sequence of four taps anyway, isn't it nice to be able to combine them into a single one tap object uh, target that's on your on your phone's uh, desktop? Uh, that's such a that's such a cool thing. Now I wasn't uh, I wasn't in on the pre briefing. Um, I, I only uh, have read like what Google has published, and it made it, it made it sound like uh, I don't want to say that it sounded like uh, like a shortcut sort of app, but uh, and this is this is a downloadable app on the Play Store. That you'll be able to just go to the Play Store, look for Action Blocks, and download it. It made me wonder what somebody who just wants to be able to drop shortcuts on their desk, their phone's desktop, what could they do with this as well. That was all. I think that was actually the whole point of this feature. And actually the whole point of the presentation was that we think so much of accessibility features in terms of these are features for people who need accessibility. But in order for us to normalize that sort of use, we kind of need to stop thinking about it. It's just like this is a this is something for somebody who needs accessibility features kind right. of thing. We this is just something everybody can use, but it's going to benefit a particular subset of people even more than another subset of people. 
so to speak. So I have the option to use it if I want. I could just download it from the Play Store, set it up as I would any Google Assistant routine, and it will do the thing for me. It will do the shortcut for me. Um, and, or I could get a fresh phone and I could set it up for a loved one and kind of set up all those actions for them so that when you know they get home, their phone is helpful in this way. Um, one of the things that actually I, I just remembered was that there was a discussion about the fact that because phones have become just these integrated part of our lives and it doesn't make any sense that somebody who would rely on accessibility features doesn't have the same functionality that you and I do, Andy. It's that's, it doesn't make any sense because if we're saying that these phones are the portal to your life, well, it's not the portal to everyone's life then, right? If it's exclusive to a, you know, certain usability. So I, I always, um, I always really appreciated this from Google that they, they make such a, they, they do, they publish a blog post and they tell you about a new feature and they bring awareness to the fact that there are people who maybe do rely on accessibility features and they bring awareness to the fact that interfaces need to be, uh, they need to be universal. And I appreciate that. Um, a couple of other little news tidbits that came out. Live Transcribe is getting some new abilities. So the phone will vibrate if the mic picks up your name. So let's say somebody is talking talking, 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 they say your name, your phone vibrates, you go, oh, this person is mentioning me. Okay. Yeah. You know, kind of helps it that really, out. It really does point out how wide, uh, if, if you really want to make a phone that is usable by everybody, uh, that uh, it, that you have to think so broadly and understand all of your users. And there are a lot of people that uh, they, it's either difficult or painful for them to be socially engaged like mm-hmm. uh, 24, 24 seven. And it's sort of a, you need to, uh, you need to like calm yourself a little bit by, I'm just going to sort of zone out a little bit and I'm not going to mm-hmm. really pay attention. And this will just simply bring you back into, Oh, someone's, t- someone is asking me a question right now. So I need to, I need to actually mm-hmm. uh, lock on and focus a little bit. Um, And to that end, you can actually add a custom name or, or a custom term for anything in your life in Life Transcribes Dictionary. Uh, This kind of helps personalize the experience. So maybe somebody calls you a name that, you know, some cutesy name or something (laughs) that uh, Life Transcribe doesn't immediately understand. You kind of dig, you have to dig a little bit into the settings, but then you can can put that in and uh, Live Transcribe will take it from there. It'll understand going forward. If your um, Irish uncle keeps saying, Slosha! <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> he, he, wants, he wants me to drink something really, really high in alcohol and then, okay, great. <laughs> and clink the glasses. He's being a good friend. Um, journalists might appreciate this. If you're using Live Transcribe for transcribing interviews, for instance, um, you can actually search past conversations. The Convos are saved up to three days on the device. So you have three days to kind of access that information. <laughs> There's also some new features being added to sound amplifier. Um, so kind of like instead of just having sound amplifier work with a wired set of headphones, now they work with Bluetooth headphones, which is great because these are becoming so mainstream. I mean, Everybody's got an AirPod or a Samsung Bud or Pixel Bud or 
Sony headphones without a wire. You know, you want that feature to be able to work. So now that works. And also, yeah, that's, uh, it's it's a really it's, it's something I didn't even really consider. But they were spelling out that well now, like if you're in a lecture, you can like if you you can leave your phone like on the lectern where your professor is professor is talking professor is talking, and you're now but you go back to your seat like ten rows back. But because you're within Bluetooth range, now you can actually hear them. Uh, that's, I didn't think about that, Andy. Yeah. That's a great i. That's a great point. Um, oh, that's a great point. I'm going to put my phone here so that I can hear you in the back of the room kind of thing. That's great. Uh, you can download this also from the Play Store. And um, it also does amplification and to kind of add clarity if you're listening to music or maybe a podcast or something of the sort. So just a bunch of very helpful little features. Um, those are not the only news items. Those are just kind of the ones that really stood out. There's a couple of other little bits and bobs um, that were announced as part of this, but we'll link them in the show notes if you're interested. We don't normally want to bombard you with pandemic news because there's so much of it that is probably barreling at you every single second of the day anyway, but this is interesting and it's it's part of what Google's doing. So we thought we would bring this in under the wire here at the very end of the show. Um, Google and Apple have officially released that exposure notification API. The one that is supposed to tell if you've been in contact with somebody who's had COVID-19. Um, so we'll link to the Washington Post article on it. But basically, the WAPO piece claims that uh, it'll be practically useless. Yeah. This was a, it was it was a weird thing. There was a, there it was a Sorry, it was like an editorial sort of piece that went alongside like the news item, uh, and it was. Um, I thought that most of the arguments that the writer was making were. Uh, I'm not going to use the word that I put in this private document shared between Flo and myself. I feel as though that I uh, for public consumption, I will say that I feel as though they lacked certain conviction. Uh, they're mostly there's there's a uh, there's a very. Uh, salient argument to be made about how these uh these contact tracing apps uh might not be uh nearly as effective as we need them to be and one of the most potent arguments is that we need to get the at least 60 percent of the phones out there actually running this app that mm. if we really want to uh have a, have a, a notable effect on the rate of transmission to make sure that people who are people are notified that they need to lay low for a couple of weeks as you come and come in contact with uh, with somebody who's who who got the stick in the nose and and got the two minus signs at the end of it when they when it was pulled out. Uh, it's and so that's that is going to be a struggle. It's also going to be a good referendum on how many people actually have uh, smartphones that are modern enough. They can run an app like this. How many people are running feature phones? Uh, how many people are running uh, like blister pack phones from the drugstore uh, on like a SIM that they? I'm sorry, put- are you saying fragmentation is another problem here for Android? <laughs> no, it's 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 for everybody. I know it's, it's like, Apple yeah, too. I know, especially I know. especially <clears throat> people who can't afford nice phones. Uh, are some of the people that are most at risk of contracting? Yep, this. absolutely. So that so that that is definitely a, an important argument to make. But one of the things that the the big thing that they're saying there in the headline, uh, they're they're quoting certain uh, public health of, uh, experts, quote unquote, uh, saying that the app will be practically useless, unquote. But the 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 beef that they have with it is that 
uh, it is a decentralized solution where all of the secrets are kept on your phone to maintain your privacy. And the argument that they're making is that unless the, the public health agencies of each country's government of each region have access to location data and they have the ability to tr- to sift through that data and make determinations based on that, it's not going to be effective in tr- uh, tracing the, the velocity of, uh, of communication of communicability. And okay, that's uh, that is. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that the it has to be centralized or else the app is useless, uh, because the argument is that if you make it centralized, number one, good luck getting people to install this thing on your app that says not only will it track you wherever you go, it will also communicate this to a government agency. <laughs> mm, we were talking that's, about those types earlier yeah, in the show. And now, see, and, that, and that's where, like, uh, in, in that study uh, from George Washington University, now you get to, like, my blob that says, wait a minute, you mean that I can, my, my data is going to be sent to, sent to the centralized government and it might not be secured properly so that outside agencies could be find it, or maybe a law enforcement agency could get access to it, even though they're not in the healthcare industry? I say thee nay. <laughs> Uh, but it's uh, they, 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 the one of the people that they get they they get on quote uh, on the record here is also it's such a shallow silly argument that oh of course you know Apple and Google they they're being selfish they they want to grab all that all that location data for themselves and not share it with the government like no they a they don't want to screw over their 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 users they also don't want this phone to die after 90 minutes of battery life because it is constantly pinging a central server to let it know where it is and where it's been so it's i just i just thought that it was a uh, it's if there was a very very uh valuable article to be written about how just because the two biggest two of the biggest titans in technology are have gotten together to present a cogent and coherent and uh, 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 a set of APIs that will grant access to the hardware stuff that uh, a tracing and tracking app needs to have in order to function. That doesn't mean this this is a solved problem. It's there's still a lot of things that have to happen correctly in order for this to be an effective tool. But yeah, this wasn't a to, to, to put in the headline that is practically useless. Uh, you you kind of lost me with the headline. Yeah, and that kind of what a bummer. What a bummer. What a bummer to see like in your RSS feed, in your feed. <laughs> Who knows who's using RSS anymore? Health officials say it will be practically useless. The tech giants have refused officials' pleas to allow the collection of location data. Yeah, Please. because people keep yelling at them knees. about They're it. They're rending their shirts saying, look at this poor wastrel child we've picked that we've found orphaned in the streets. How can you look upon this poor, sad, sick face and say, nay, I will not give location data of 328,000 semi-anonymized users by... No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, you guys, listen. Here's the best way. Here's the best thing that you can do right now. For society, for your fellow human, for animals, because I, I hear that cats and dogs are getting this stuff too. Uh, stay home, <laughs> don't leave your house. <laughs> I know it sucks. You know what? I get it. I'm sad. <laughs> My neighbor's sad. Everyone's sad. We're just just do what I do and eat cookies every night. You know, just <laughs> like it's it's fine. Just eat cookies and wear sweats all the time. Um, 
I I think that's it for me this week because I'm clearly <laughs> uh, right now. I don't know what it is about this week, um, but it is what it is. And I, I'm just so thankful to be here with Andy and Jim listening in and all of you listeners. Um, Andy, do you have any closing words for this week's material podcast? <laughs> Um, again, I'm not kidding about the movie, the doll squad. I really think that, that no, computer, it's all, I've already sent sequence, it to my husband. That like, computer while sequence we were... is just gold, pure gold. Well, I sent, okay, but I sent seven to my husband and his friend in a Google hangout. And then I put the doll squad aside at the side of my brain because I saw that there's a cinematic Titanic about it, but I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, I have to, I have to check. I, I don't know about cinematic Titanic. I only know mystery science theater and, and we're talking certain seasons here. So I'm trying to figure out if, you know, there's. <laughs> and I, and I, for, yeah. I forgot to mention about if I, if I haven't sold you on seven already, it is the sort of movie where if you, if, if a, an assassin simply pours like maybe a couple of pints of gasoline on like the roof of a car and then like runs away and throws a match at the car, the hood will go light on fire, and then eight seconds later, there'll be a fireball the size of a large deciduous tree. If that's the and see, this it'll, is the seventies. There'll be like just be, just because there's a little there's like a little puddle of gasoline on the hood that will cause an, uh, like eighteen pounds of explosive to ignite and send the thing hurling through the air. I'm I'm saying that I I think this movie knows what it's about. It's, it's it's like national treasure. It's yes, it's silly. What's your point? Exactly. <laughs> and quite honestly, we could use a little bit of that right now. <laughs> exactly. It's nice. It's nice to lose. It's nice to just enjoy something that is just. I I don't want to. I don't want to watch like my archive of like frontline PBS documentaries. <laughs> uh listen. I'm going to end the show by saying that you become a member of the yes. show at relay.fm/slash/material. Keep kids like us off the streets. Yes. And I'm also going to end this by saying last night, Frontline did come on after I watched a documentary, American Experience, and I had to turn it off because it was about stuff we don't want to talk about. So on that note, I think it's time for Flo to go. If you need to know more about Flo, you know where to find me on the Internet. Andy, are you doing uh, radio this week? Yes, I'm on Boston Public Radio again this Friday, I think at 11.30 a.m., if you visit me on Twitter, where I'm I-H-N-A-T-K-O, I will have the exact time Friday morning. Or just uh, hit uh, WGBHnews.org. Uh, they usually have an archive of uh, all the shows, like, about the day after or the evening of. Just do a search for my name. Again, the price of admission is spelling my last name, I-H-N-A-T-K-O, which, I'll be honest, would have left me out until age 13 or 14. I couldn't even pronounce it correctly until I was 10. <laughs> Uh, we're going to end on that note. That was good, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you everybody for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week. Hopefully Andy will have YouTube mu- music by next week. <laughs> so until then, have a great seven days. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. 